We come now to the part where we realize that this is the center piece, the apex, the foundation, the, the, the most important part of the Christian belief system. We're talking about the resurrection of Christ, which is connected to a resurrection of a judgment and a resurrection to the family of God. There are those who would contend with this doctrine saying it's against the natural order. But a lot of people do not believe in the resurrection. But I want you to go back with me 2,000 years to those who first experienced the resurrection. Because the phrase, he is risen, went all throughout Jerusalem, all throughout Palestine, all throughout the Middle Asia. And so... After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary and certain other women with them, they came to the tomb bringing, bringing the spices which they had prepared, expecting to find the Savior who was dead. But when the women looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large, and entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting at the right hand. And they were alarmed. Can you imagine the confusion that was taking place that day? Simon Peter came and following him, he went into the, uh, John went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head not lying with the linen cloths but folded together in a place by itself. Something had happened in that tomb. When Mary came out of the tomb, distraught. She saw a man, supposing him to be the gardener, and said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, where have they taken him? Tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him. And then Jesus said something to her, a one word, Mary. She turned to him and said, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. Jesus always speaks your name. The God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament is on a first name basis. It's the only economy in all the world where to know the king, you have to know him on a first name basis. I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Jacob. I am the God of Israel. I am the God of Jeremiah. I am the God of David. I am the God of Ezekiel, Zacchaeus, Lazarus. God's on a first name basis. And when they realized, when she realized, uh, and the disciples realized, they remembered his words, so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to bring the disciples the word. He's alive. He is not here. He is risen indeed. And from the Old Testament, from Abraham who saw Christ, from Job who says, I know that my Redeemer lives, there is something about that first generation of believers who understood what the resurrection meant. And I would propose to you, and we'll explain in a moment, that what motivated the New Testament believers, does not motivate Christians today. 
What motivated the New Testament believers was an understanding that is foreign to American Christians today. Because what Peter and the disciples understood was that this resurrection had a special significance in all of history. For Peter would say, Fellow brothers, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. And presenting Christ, affirmed by God, Peter stood up and he said, This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and by God's deliberate foreknowledge. With the help of the wicked man, they put him to death by nailing him on a cross. This was God's plan all along. But Peter understood, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agency of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. What the New Testament believers understood in the resurrection was that this one, this Son of Man, was the Messiah, God's man, brought back to life, and they understood because David had said in Psalm 16, and notice when David says this psalm, David is not talking about the Messiah in the third person. He's talking about the Messiah as though the Messiah himself were speaking through David in the first person. I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. And the psalm goes on to say, that God will not allow his son to uh, deteriorate in the grave. And therefore his body would not go through the death process like all death processes take place. But instead, Peter would say, fellow brothers, I can confidently tell you that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet. And know that God had promised him on earth that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. And seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah. And there it is. That he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. For God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses to it. The Jews who believed in Christ at that point, understood that Jesus was the Messiah, the promised one, the fulfillment of the Old Testament, and the fulfiller of the New Testament covenant. And therefore, this was the theme that ran all the way through the New Testament mind and heart. Peter picks this up. In 1 Peter, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Uh, And so Peter is saying that for the Christians, the resurrection of this Messiah is, is important for the resurrection of all believers in the Messiah. And therefore, we will obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, and undefiled, and will not fade away, received in heaven, reserved in heaven for you. 
uh, John likewise. John, the whole book of John was oriented around teaching the Jewish people that this Jesus, this resurrected Jesus, is the true Messiah. And if you, as a Jewish person, did not accept the Messiah as a resurrected Messiah, then you are not part of the true Israel. And therefore, John would write, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our own eyes, and what we have looked at, and we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This was Jesus who fixed breakfast. He was tangible. For 40 days on earth, John and the disciples walked with this resurrected Lord, and, and they knew him. And they said that this life was manifested, and we have seen, and we testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and is now manifested to us. What we have seen, we proclaim to you that you may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his resurrected Son. For the Jews who understood that John was saying uh, no longer is there a doubt to, to be um, in your mind? If you hear the testimony of God through these disciples and through his son, you understand for the Jewish people that we have the testimony and the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his resurrected son. Therefore, he who has the son he who has the Messiah has life. He who does not have the Messiah does not have life. And these things I have written to you be, who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you may have eternal life. Now those are common words for us. Those, are, those words could be threadbare for many churches across the ages. But for the Jews, they had specific meaning. It was about the fulfillment of the prophecies and the promises of God in this one called the Messiah. And that motivated the New Testament believers. That does not motivate us today. We're not Jews. We're Gentiles. And therefore, when we approach that, that whole category of belief and faith in the Old Testament revelation and the New Testament fulfillment does not trickle down into our hearts, yeah, okay, Okay, because as Gentiles, we don't have that background. And therefore, when it comes to the resurrection, when it comes to the topic of the resurrection, how do you make this relevant to people today who don't have the historical background of Christ? The resurrection does mean real change. And so I want to shift the focus from what the Bible was talking about in a moment, but what the Bible is talking about when it talks about the resurrection, it talks about a real bodily resurrection from the dead. Ezekiel had this in the Old Testament. Can dead bones rise again? That's a miracle. It's not a natural to understand. It's supernatural. It's not illogical. It's, it's above logic. Because God is in control. And when the Bible talks about the resurrection, and God has brought them back to life. Three times in the Old Testament, three times in the New. In the Old Testament, Elijah raised a Gentile boy. Elijah raised 
uh, the rich Shunammite's son. And then you have Jesus raised Jairus' daughter. Jesus raised Lazarus. Peter raised Dorcas. Paul raised Eutychus. There are resurrection accounts. But Lazarus, after he came out of the tomb, he had a splitting headache. Or he could have something else go wrong. He, he will die again. But his resurrection was temporary for a while. But it would not be heaven. These were physically raised bodies from the dead as a sign that God can do miracles on earth. Well, it refers to, uh, in the Greeks, the Greeks didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And therefore, there was this controversy, well, do dead men really rise? The Greeks didn't believe that. The Gentiles don't believe. They believe in an immortality of the soul. Of course you're going to live forever. That is not biblical. You won't live forever because eternal life is only characteristic of an eternal God who is immortal. We are mortal. We are not immortal, and therefore eternal life is a gift to mortals to live in eternal existence with the eternal God. But let's go on. The act of being raised from the dead is clear, but it's also talked about that the resurrection is about Jesus Christ, this one who was raised not only in bodily, but he'd be raised for all eternity, never to die again. And this resurrection is the established truth that the Jews understood and for the Thessalonians was the comfort that you will die, but you will be raised again on the last day. This third meaning of the resurrection is that everybody will be raised, everybody will go through a resurrection, but the resurrection is used in the New Testament at the end of time for punishment and judgment and for reward in embracing those who belong to Christ. It's very clear that not everyone will be raised who, and get into heaven because they'll be raised. Resurrection is central to God for all that happened on earth. But the resurrection is central to the whole New Testament gospel. And Paul says, if this isn't true, then, then, then you're still in your sins. If this isn't true, then Christ is still in the grave. If this isn't true, we're, we're foolish. It's all in vain. This is silly. It's just a belief system that you try to rely on as a crutch. And therefore, a lot of people on Sunday morning this day are sleeping in or shopping or doing something, and they're not worshiping Christ this morning. They're not singing He is risen. It's just another Pleasant Valley Sunday. And they're going through life as though God does not exist. So the question I would say to you is this. When you meet people, why should I believe in the resurrection? It's a fair question. They're not Jewish. Why would this be important to them? And you have to have an answer for that. Because you are the ambassadors of the resurrection. Let me give you two quick answers, I say. One, he is who he says he is. And that if Jesus Christ is the resurrected Lord, fulfilling the Old Testament, you can understand and he is true. He is who he says he is. And second thing is, he has done what he said he will do. And he will do what he says he will do. And therefore, 
for us to know and invite people to this one who is raised from the dead and offering an invitation to raise anybody from the dead, you can trust God. You can put your, put your life in the hands of this resurrected one from Galilee. But if you're like me, and you rub shoulders with people at work, you might find people who really don't have faith. And so some people would say, well, I know some unbelievers who live better than believers. Now this is so far away from the gospel in the New Testament because they're in a secular world isolated and distant from the biblical revelation that we understand and love. But you will have people make all kinds of excuses. Well, I know some non-Christians who are better than Christians. Haven't you heard that argument? And, and I really don't need Christianity to be a good person, right? Well, you heard that. I hear that a lot. And besides, if it were true, why aren't Christians any better than non-Christians? Well, there's a question behind this defined. And the question is, is you don't understand that what is defined as goodness and what is defined as the goal of living your life on earth, with or without God, there's, there's a lot of discussion to be going on. But C.S. Lewis, in his book, A Mere Christianity, started talking about it this way. He says, if you start to think about trust, and you're trusting in, uh, you, in your faith or in your belief or whatever, but you, you're going to put your hands in the hands of someone who's capable and trustworthy. For example, if you are sick and you need to go to a dentist or you need to go to a doctor, you presume that the dentist and the doctor know what they're doing, right? Because you're going to trust them to take care of you with whatever issue that may arise. But if you're going to put your trust in an everyday uh, life situation, whether it be a mechanic or surgery or, or just whatever, you realize that you're going to trust people who are competent and capable. You take that back to the cross and you say, well, God is competent and capable to change people, but then if the resurrection is true, why aren't more people changed? Because if Christians look at the Christians and they say, I don't see much change. And here's what I want you to know. You see, Easter says to me that there are three stages, uh, three positions where people move towards the cross. One is that they're on that side of the cross. They, they see the cross and that's all they see. They're on the other side of the cross and they're running that way, walking away from the cross. Other people are are looking at the cross, but on the, they're on that side of the cross. Jesus said to the Pharisees, uh, to the one who asked him, what do I do to get into the kingdom of heaven? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And Jesus said, you are not far from the kingdom. But notice, he was not in the kingdom. He was moving this way, but he was still on the other side of the cross. There are a lot of people who don't understand the cross, because the cross is for the secular world, a crazy, foolish idea. But for us, it's everything. But there are people who live on that side of the cross, and then 
There are people who are at the cross and know the cross and love the cross and, and know that God has forgiven them and the blood of Christ, the sacrifice of the Lamb, brings forgiveness and brings forgiveness and brings forgiveness, but they're stuck right there on forgiveness. So I call these folks, they are in the tomb. There's before the cross, and people are stuck in the tomb, stuck right there in the middle, that's just still doing things, but the old man hasn't changed, and therefore they haven't left the tomb. And there's the third stage where people live on the other side of the stone. That's why, as Protestants, as Baptists, we don't celebrate Easter with Jesus on the cross. We celebrate Jesus on the throne. He is he is resurrected. He's the Lord of Lords. He's no longer to be tied to the concept of death and forgiveness alone. He's tied to life in all of its fullness. It's the kingdom in all of its fullness. And here comes the resurrection power. And that's why in the New Testament, the fourth reason why the Bible talks about the resurrection is that the gospel message means you can have new life in Christ. You can have brand new life from the kingdom. You have new life because Christ is alive and lives in you. The hope of glory. That, I would suggest, is not typical for many Christians. For in all Christians, Christ is present. In some Christians, Christ is prominent. But in few Christians, is Christ preeminent. Those who understand, like Paul, I don't want to keep up the good pharisaical legalistic thing because that did not do me any good. But now I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. That power of the resurrection that says the old man is goodbye and there is a new man, a new man, a new man. It's the Christ man, the resurrected Lord who's living in you and through you. And therefore, you see, people will have all kinds of experiences. As they come to the cross, they get salvation. If they don't come to the cross, they're not going to be saved. If they don't come to the cross, they won't be resurrected in the new life in Christ. In the, without the resurrection, they will have no up and down standing of who the God is that saved them. And therefore, this up and down pathway for Christians is different for every single one of us, depending upon how we respond when Jesus calls our name. And therefore, Lewis would talk about, well, there are some unbelievers who don't know Jesus, like Dirk. Dirk is an unbeliever, and he's a good guy. He pays his taxes. He mows the yard. He paints his room. He gets kids bicycles. He's a good father. He's a good guy. But his, he's a kind man. And he's not a believer. Moral, many ways, but... And then there's Miss Christian Bates. You should hear her when she's not in church. Her mouth, her tongue, she can say some things that you think, is she Christian? And so when you begin to compare Christians or non-Christians, you think, well, she's not so nice sometimes, and... Dirk, he's really nice sometimes. And so you have this comparison on the human level that which one is Christian? I mean, she's a better Christian because of her behavior, right? Well, here's the point. Jesus is not out to make nice people. He's out to make new people. Because whether she changes her tongue 
or not is really not that important thing. The real question is, what would her tongue be like if Christ weren't in her life? And the other question is, what would Dirk's tongue be like if Christ were in his life? The difference is not in terms of the behavior. The difference is in terms of the relationship. So as you look at this picture, who are the good sinners? Who are the bad sinners? The point is, they're all sinners. And all of them, Dirk and Miss Christian Bates, we all need Christ no matter what behavior we do. And therefore, we need to understand that what Christ is out is not just to make people nicer or gooder. Is that a word? Gooder. He's out to transform people. And that transformation is what the resurrection is all about. That transformation means that you can have new life in Christ. So, why should I believe? The answer, why should I believe in this resurrection of Jesus who died for me? And I, I don't really see any relevance to it. As an old person who's not born again, this person never will. And will never see the kingdom of heaven. And will be lost forever. But you still have to say, she's not Jewish. She's not going to celebrate the Messiah. She doesn't have that category. So to bring the power of the resurrection to this one or anyone, for Dirk or whoever, you need to say, Jesus is awesome. You know Jesus. If you knew Jesus, wow. So let me propose to you, to you this. If Jesus didn't offer heaven, and Jesus didn't offer forgiveness, would you follow Christ? If Jesus didn't pay for your sins, would you follow Christ? Huh. I mean, just Jesus? Yeah, just Jesus. You see, I know no other man who I respect and admire more than Jesus Christ. The way he moved in the world, the strength that he had, you wouldn't fool him, he wouldn't deceive you. There's something about his laughter, his joy, the way he lived his life in strength, I admire that. And to think that I could be just the life of Christ. How would you like to have the life of Christ? Just the life of Christ. And to be with him. And then have him say, this one is mine. This one's my friend. This one belongs to me. Uh, this is my man. This is my disciple. This is my brother. This, how would you like to be a friend of Christ? That's what Christ is saying to each and every one. He loves us. He's awesome. He's awesome. And he's interested in the relationship with you. Second thing you can say, when Jesus, when Jesus speaks, he doesn't lie. You can trust him. He's capable. You can, you can rely on everything he says because he's never going to fail you. Never. Wow. Why should you believe? Because he created you. And he loves you. And if you don't know Christ, you don't know the reason why you are on earth. Without understanding his purpose and your place, you won't know and you'll make up your own. And you'll walk in a world according to your understanding. Why trust him? Because only Jesus can save you from the judgment and the wrath of the things that you have done wrong. The sins that you are ashamed of, the guilt, the regrets that you have, 
Jesus knows. And he heals. And he will restore the ideal. That you were never to walk alone. You were never to have those things that you ran into. But you were always, always were to have him as, at your side. And therefore, he offers you brand new life with him. And those who have died with Christ have been raised with Christ. And therefore, the resurrection life is your life. And therefore, when you think about why should I believe, without him, you will never be saved. You'll be lost for eternity. You'll never know your purpose. You will never know why he made you. And so the question is, why, why should I believe? My question and response is, why wouldn't you believe? Why wouldn't you believe? Would you like to have new life in Christ, this new relationship with Christ, with the God who loves you, who died for you, who rose again for you, and really is going to offer you new life? Why wouldn't you do that? Not being Jewish, but saying to the Gentile world, yeah, you can have new life in Christ. And that's why when Christ steps into a life, the resurrection power that comes in will give you the love of Christ. And that love of Christ will compel you, control you, because we are convinced that once died for all, therefore all died. And he that died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. And that's Christ's promise to take you out of your self-centeredness into an other-centered lifestyle like Christ, who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we see differently. We see people as Jesus sees. We see life as Jesus sees. We see people and regard people, no one from a worldly part, point of view, though we, can, we regarded Christ that way one time, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature, a new creation. Man, woman, God gives new life to those who know the resurrected Lord. And therefore, why should you believe? Because you can know he's alive. You can know he's alive. And he will walk with you in your battles. And he will walk with you in your surgery. And he will deal with your cancer. And he will be with you every step of the way until you die. And then he promises, I am the resurrection. I am the life. If, even though you believe in me, you'll never die. This is the Lord's promise. He's true. He's good. He's everything he said he would do. It is, and everything he did, he, uh, said he would do, he did. This is why we believe. This is why we celebrate. He's, he's alive. And he's our friend. He's our, our savior. He's everything. If you don't know Christ, what you need to do is to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I don't know you that way. I've been a good person trying to work my life through, trusting myself. I've been like Dirk. I just try to be nice. Jesus is not interested in nice. He's interested in new. And if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord, you're missing the power of the resurrection. You're missing the power of the promise. You're missing the whole new life. So don't misunderstand. This is the most important thing. Jesus will change you from the inside out if you let him in. And therefore, Jesus would call Everyone by name, if you trust me, I will come into you and be your Savior. Let's pray. Father, as you know the love that you have for us, it's just waiting as the power of the gospel is, 
is going to be there for every Jew and every Gentile. Thank you, Jesus, that you are on the throne and that you have established the truth that we can rest in you. And therefore, Father, may your spirit take these words and cause us to be born again to a living hope according to that resurrection power because of your Son. Again, we love you for all that you do. We celebrate and we we rejoice. This is your day, and we honor you in it. So, Lord, be pleased and build your church to be the ambassadors to tell people who don't know you that they can know you. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen.